Okay, good morning. My name is Tumi. I'm from the Centurion Growth Group, led by Tsidiso, who just led us in prayer this morning. Our Bible reading for this morning will come from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels and our words. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. This is the word of God. Thank you to me for that Bible reading. Um, I wish it was just that easy uh, to me read for us there, let brotherly love continue. I wish it was just that easy just to go, all right, let's pack our bags. Let's just go out there and love one another. Uh, but <laughs> my experience is uh, we, we struggle a little with that. We struggle a little to love one another. And um, I thought there's two kind of reasons I thought about why we, uh, we, we struggle with that. And the one is it depends on who you ask. Uh, if you want to love someone and you want to know what they mean, when they say love me, you uh, ask someone, and depending who you ask, they'll tell you what it means. Um, I asked Hamilton, um, and the 8 o'clock service had no idea who I was talking about, so I hope you guys know who I'm talking about. Hamilton is that musical, that very famous musical that they wrote in America about the American independence. Um, it's a musical written by Lynn manuel uh, Miranda, I got that right. And it's about the independence of America. And uh, uh, if you were to ask him what love was, he'll take you to the King of England and his song. Uh, and the King of England's song is You'll Be Back. Now, the King of England, presented by this guy, sings this song to the Americans, who's basically leaving them. And he says, you guys will be back because I'm going to remind you of my love. And the way he's going to remind them of his love, he's going to send a fully armed battalion who's basically going to make war against them. And this battalion is going to come kill their women, their children, their friends, just to remind you of my love. Da, 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 da. Please sing with me. Come on. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can do this afterwards at the council meeting as well. So depending on who you ask, if you had to ask the King of England through the eyes of um, that musical, he will tell you that the way I love you is by sending my army to force you to love me. But um, that's a funny story. But uh, the other way we struggle to love is actually the expression of our love. Uh, this is a little bit more real. Uh, I went to a funeral of my very good friend's father, uh, Afrikaans culture, big church, probably the amount of seats we have here, but a small town. And normally... You know, 50 people, maybe 100 people come, but 50 people came to the funeral. And normally the family sits in front here, and the 50 guests or the 50 people who came to express their love to the family who's grieving sat up there in the corners in the bleachers. They, the awkwardness, I don't know what happened, but the awkwardness with our culture, whatever, coming to church, they wanted to love the people. But the expression of their love was so, let's call it weird, that they sit in the back corners there. So I'm very weird like that, yeah. And um, so they wanted to say, I love you, but they, they weren't even in the building. They were so far away. So those are the two things I think we struggle with uh, when it comes to loving people. What it means, 
and the way we express it. And um, if you're to ask Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, it actually has a very clear answer to what that love looks like and how we should express it. Uh, I'm going to ask three questions of our passage. The one is the motive. So we have to start with the motive. Why do we love? If we don't have the right motive to love, we can just leave it. And then we're going to see this brotherly love or this love that the passage talks about is quite painful, quite sacrificial, quite costly. And the last one we're going to see is that this brotherly love is very, very, very practical. All right. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, um, and let's just read there verse 1. Uh, verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. Now, if that was the only verse and the only thing we were written, uh, looked at, then Prophet Eddie, I could stand in front here and I could tell you exactly what I want you to hear and I could tell you this is what love is. But thank goodness it comes in the letter of Hebrews, doesn't it? And it comes especially after last week's chapter, which is chapter 12. Now I'm going to ask you a little bit of a hard thing, and that's to think back to last week and to remember some of those things we learned last week. But in chapter 12, we were exposed or we were shown this extraordinary love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Remember those two mountains, the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy? And we saw God's love for us in Christ Jesus speaking this better word that brings us from the mountain of fear to the mountain of joy. And then it calls us to respond. So let me remind you a little bit again. Mount Sinai, remember that Mount Sinai, that, mount, that mountain was exploding with God's holiness. It was full of God's holiness. Nothing, no one, because of sin, could get anywhere close to that mountain or you would be completely obliterated. And it was a mountain of fear caused people to tremble. But God loved us so much that that consuming fire spoke to us through the word of Jesus' blood, the better word spoken by the blood of Jesus on the cross, where Jesus takes us from that mountain where we are dead and doomed to the mountain of life, of joy, where we have this unbelievable access to the Father, this unbelievable fellowship with the Father and one another, eternal life, eternal joy. That mountain, we can get to that mountain because of God's love for us. An acceptable response was to worship him. Um, so have a look at the flow. Then we go into chapter 13. So let me read chapter 12, verse 28 for us. Chapter 12, verse 28 says this. <clears throat> Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So now, let us, let, let brotherly love continue. Can you see the motive there? Chapter 12, this is the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus, taking you to this kingdom that can never be shaken. Now, the response is brotherly love. So the motive uh, to love one another starts and ends with our Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ takes us from this mountain of fear to this mountain of joy. 
The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of our love. It is the thing on which we build our homes. It is the thing that ignites, it's the fire that ignites the love in us. You have been loved so much that has changed us. It ignites the fire in us. And it's also the thing, the love shown in Christ Jesus to us, is the thing that helps us walk every day. So the motive is very important. We cannot move away uh, and just say just love one another unless we start with the right motive. And so before we can go anywhere else, we need to hear again what the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ says to us. And we need to ask God to help us to hear it with our ears, to understand it with our minds, and to walk in that way. A proper grasp of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus guides our footsteps, if you want to put it like that. Or theology, teaching about who God is, his character, his nature, his love for us in Christ Jesus, motivates us to worship, to doxology, whatever that English word is. So there's the motive. The motive is clear. It cannot be clearer. It's the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. That better word that's spoken on the cross for you and for me. That is the thing that ignites the foundation and the thing that ignites us. And the thing that helps us to walk every day. So now you know what the motive is. It's very good for us now. Now we can actually go into what this love actually looks like. And what it looks like is pain, cost, Another beautiful word, sacrificial love. Have a look there. Have a look there. Verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. All three of them have the same idea in it. Verse 1 has this idea of continue. Let brotherly love continue. Verse 2 has this idea of do not forget hospitality. Verse 3 has this word remember. Don't forget. Remember those in prison. All three of those verses has this idea of perseverance, isn't it? Now, We know from the series that we've gone through in Hebrews that these are Christians. These are Christians who've responded to the blood and the the message of Jesus on the cross. They've become Christians, and they actually have loved one another. Chapter 10, we have this beautiful picture there, verse uh, 32, of the Christians uh, remembering, walking with, standing shoulder to shoulder with the fellow brothers, having compassion, Uh, with those who are in prison. And so we can truly say that this church, this Hebrew church, have loved one another. And it came naturally to them, very naturally to them, from the beginning. But now, in chapter 13, he says, continue. Don't forget, remember to love the fellow brothers, the fellow Christians. So what is happening? Well, it sounds like their love for one another was growing a little bit cold, isn't it? It sounds like, or it looks like, they are starting to listen to something else. The blood of Jesus spoke to them. They heard it. They responded to it. They loved one another. But now, they attempted to listen to something else, to a different word. Remember, these are Jews, so their community... Their fellow Jews were pressing on them. Uh, Rodin helped us see that. They said, come on, guys. Stop following this Jesus. 
He's dead. He hasn't risen. Come back to your roots. You are all Jews. Come on, isn't that who you are? And I'll show you my love, just like Hamilton did, by imprisoning you and persecuting you and forcing you to come back to me. See how that works. Listening to Jesus, these Christians, listening to Jesus came at a great cost to them. They lost their livelihoods, they were imprisoned, they were publicly shamed, and they were standing shoulder to shoulder with those who were going through those persecutions. And they were tempted to go back, because going back would be the easy way. They don't have to pay that cost anymore. So the world was pressing in on them. But I suppose like them and with us, our own hearts press in on us, doesn't it? I always wonder if I will be able to sacrifice like that. Um, When you become a Christian, brotherly love is very natural. I'm thinking of young Christians. I'm looking here around this room. It is intoxicating to be with them, isn't it? They are such a joy. They just love. It just oozes out of them. But then I was like that too until I met you guys. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) What happened? Thank you for laughing at my joke. It's so. (laughs) What happened? We are tempted. We are tempted to listen to our own hearts. And so, what does our heart say? Well, our heart says, Eddie, do you really want to be with those people, those noisy children, those naughty children? I'm looking after the children, so my goodness, there's very naughty children here. Or those teenagers, you know, those teenagers that waltz out of here and takes them four hours to get from there out the door. And we are all waiting. What about the music? I've got many stories about music. Man, do you really want to go to that church where they sing that kind of music? Really? And so what happens to our heart? Self-preservation kicks in. What is self-preservation for me? What has happened? says, well, just avoid that family with those kids. Then you're safe. You won't be tempted to sin and get angry. Just avoid them. Uh, Worse still, uh, people leave communities where they are in fellowship with one another for, not for gospel reasons, but for stuff like this, non-gospel reasons. And so our heart, self-preservation kicks in and says, really, do you really want to listen to the blood of Jesus uh, calling you to love the brothers? Just give up. Just give up. So it might shock you that I'm a sinner, and uh, yeah, yeah, and you're also a sinner, and you put us into this room together, it's quite a recipe for pain uh, if we don't listen to the blood of Jesus. If we listen to our own hearts, if we listen to the world pressing in on us, uh, I would run away. I don't know about you guys, but I met Royden, and then I really wanted to run. Anyway, it's written in my passage. Anyway, so what is this brotherly love? How, the idea is to sacrifice at a great cost um, to love the brothers. The problem is, it doesn't just happen on a Sunday here or in the Sunday school where you're a teacher or the teen church when you're teaching. That's not really where this passage is talking about. It's actually talking about 24 7. Loving one another practically 24 7. And it's got two very practical applications. Have a look there in verse 2. I'm going to read for you verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. 
I must confess, when I read that, and I had angels can come into my house, I wanted to invite all of you, um, <clears throat> thinking maybe one of you might potentially be an angel, and then there's quite a bit of blessing for me. Uh, so um, my house is a little bit small, but so half, half of you can come. Anyway, that's not what it's talking about. Even though our hearts immediately go, what can I get out of this hospitality? Actually, it's referring to Genesis uh, 18 and 19. It's looking at Lot and Abraham. They hosted uh, strangers. They didn't know they were angels at the time, but it cost them dearly. It really did. If you read in Genesis 19, and I'm encouraging you to go and read that, Lot particularly brought two strangers. He found two strangers in kind of the city square. Uh, the Bible tells us the angels of the Lord. He brought them into his home. That night, all the men of the town of Sodom came and wanted to sodomize basically those two men. Lot went out and pleaded with them. It nearly cost him his life. It nearly cost him his two children's lives, his two daughters' lives. But the point of the passage is there that radical hospitality like that, actually, the world hates. It actually, the world gets aggravated by that kind of hospitality. So the hospitality here in verse 2 that he's talking about, it comes at a great cost. And the reason we can pay that cost is because of our motive, listening to this better word spoken to the blood, by the blood of Jesus, to be radically hospitable. I don't know if you've stopped and ever thought about bringing someone you don't know into your house. It's quite an uh, uncomfortable thing. Um, our houses is places where we kind of protect ourselves. It's our safe place. I protect our families. And in a sense, that's a good thing. But the problem is your family needs that kind of protection too. That's why there's an encouragement to bring them in. That's why the passage talks about uh, radical hospitality, letting them into that safe place. In fact, our homes, the Bible tells us, is a gift from God. Something that we can use to love him and to love one another. A wonderful illustration of that that has really grown in our church is our life groups. We see our life groups coming here and reading the Bible and praying for us every day, and they talk with real uh, love of their fellow leaders, of their fellow uh, uh, life group members. Um, we have great examples of, of, of people coming into those life groups and really feeling loved and really thinking, feeling cared for. But like Sundays, that's maybe a half an hour, two hours. No, my Bible study is not half an hour. Mine takes forever. Sorry, but... Um, it's that one night, and maybe Sundays, where this passage is talking about building on that. Radical hospitality is something that we do all the time, or should be encouraged to do all the time. Now, obviously those hospitalities can be abused, um, and it is often abused, and it's so much abused that we have a, another play, not Hamilton, I have two plays in my talk. I'm so educated and so cultured, you won't believe. This one is, I'm going to ask my French-speaking ladies to, Les Mis, Les Mis, how do you pronounce it? Aha, that one. You guys know that one? Les Mis yes. We have got that wonderful priest, that old guy, and this is I only know from movies, because I don't know what's the musical, but I watch the movie, bringing that guy in from jail, Jean Valjean, and he robs him. And then he runs away with the stuff, and the police catch him and bring him back. And then the old priest does something extraordinary. The priest brings more stuff. 
And his wife's eyes are like this, what are you doing? And gives him more stuff. And the point is, that is the radical hospitality that God has shown the priest. And he is showing that kind of radical hospitality to this stranger. That is the radical hospitality that the Lord has shown to you and to me. And that is the radical hospitality that he prizes and wants us to respond to. That's what Jesus has shown us on the cross. Letting us into his very presence, into his very home. So that's radical hospitality. The other one is in verse 3, which is uh, empathy or radical empathy that comes at a great cost. Let me read for us um, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So what is there? There's this idea of standing shoulder to shoulder, meeting the needs of brothers and sisters who are in real trouble because they're standing for Jesus. Real persecution, real cost to them because they're responding to this um, amazing word of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And you and I are called to stand with them as if we are right there with them in jail. They're in prison, they're mistreated, they lost their livelihoods. That's the guys in, 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 in Hebrews that they're talking about. But their fellow brothers and sisters standing shoulder to shoulder with them because they are this one body, this beautiful one body in Christ where if one suffers, all of us suffer. And so there's a great cost of having real concern for those who are imprisoned or mistreated for their faith. And that's the kind of radical hospitality that the Father prizes. That's the kind of radical hospitality and empathy that the Father prizes. I think there's two very practical benefits, uh, and we see it in our church all the time. And the first one, if you are practically loving one another with hospitality and with real care for them, you know what happens? You really get to know them. There's real deep relationships formed when you let a stranger into your home and that stranger becomes your brother or your sister in Christ. There's real deep relationships formed, deep, deep relationships that will last for eternity. But in those deep relationships, you get to really help them. So we see that with the practical help. We see it all the time in our, in our life groups, for instance. People come into the family and they need you know, all sorts of practical help, from food to uh, you know, mentoring, whatever, whatever, financial help, to all the way to the whole spectrum. And it's amazing how the family then just steps up. And they give that real help because there's real relationships. But that's just help for now. There's help that lasts for all eternity in those life groups, in those relationships. Real eternal help. Walking together, brother and sister, brother, brother, sister, sister, walking together, following the Lord Jesus Christ, responding to this better word, together in the gospel, growth, maturity, all those beautiful things. Some of our, this sounds terrible, some of our best success stories, which is actually God's grace stories, are faces 
There are faces here in the room, I know them, and I've seen them over the years, who were strangers who came into that door. But then the church, not the church, the, the, the staff, no, individuals took them into their lives. Individuals walked with them. Individuals drew them into their family. And that stranger that walked in became a brother and sister in that family, in that small-knit family. And in that small-knit family, that individual was helped, really, really helped, physically with what they needed, but also spiritually. We saw conversions. People walked in, became Christians because of that radical hospitality and empathy. We saw people growing to maturity, faces people. And now you know what? Those people are now leading, and they are doing exactly the same thing with new strangers coming into through those doors. It's what we call disciples making disciples. It is people responding to the motive, to this amazing love that our Lord Jesus Christ has for us. Bringing people into their families, radical hospitality, radical empathy, radical caring, at great cost to themselves, and the family grows to maturity, together following the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful picture, and I can see faces here of many people who the Lord has blessed us, and we call it God's grace stories. But as we come now to the Lord's table, which we're going to do now, I want you to take up the mirror of verse 1, 2, and 3. It's a mirror. And I want you to look into verse 1, 2, and 3, and I have to ask yourself that same question. Um, do you love the brothers? Do you love the people, God's people? Or are you like me who is tempted to stop loving one another? Are you tempted to stop paying the price? My world, the pressure of following the world, my heart, the devil. Is that captured your heart, your mind, like a dead mind? Can I see that in my actions? Am I avoiding Loving the brothers? Am I struggling with hospitality? Am I really struggling to care for people? Well, in a sense, we all have to come to the Lord's table with repentance. I have to repent. We all have to repent. And we need to ask God some very important questions. So here's what we do when we come to the Lord's table. We need to hear that warning again. The warning of chapter 12, that our God is a consuming fire. We cannot mess with him. But our consuming fire God speaks to us through the blood of Jesus on the cross, which calls us from a mountain of fear to the mountain of joy. The foundation of our love for one another it ignites that love in us. We need to hear that. We need to hear that. And then we need to ask God to help us. So those are three things. We need to see who God is. We need to hear what he says for us, and we need to ask him desperately to help us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this better word spoken to us by the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Help us hear that warning here today. 
Help us listen to the better word spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, will you open our ears and soften our hearts and help us to continue to love one another. Amen.